Bibles, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 22. Uh, we've been going through a series, going through the book of Matthew, just kind of passage by passage. And uh, this morning we're going to handle a really fun passage. Um, how many of you like money? It's okay, yeah, we all kind of do, right? Have you ever actually stopped and looked at money, though? Looked at the bills that we use and the way that they've changed over the years? It's pretty impressive. I actually was reading this week kind of the history of, of paper bills in the U.S., but did you know at the Civil War, at the time of the Civil War, about 15% of the money that was in circulation was fake? 15%. So when you got paid, you didn't really know if it was real or not. And of course, there was U.S. money, and then there was Confederate money. Um, but they said that at the time in the U.S., there were about 10,000 different currencies going around. 10,000 from different countries that had come in to help, all these different things. And so they said people had a hard enough time remember what the currency was supposed to look like to try to pick out a fake. So how do we know? How does the U.S. government keep us from counterfeiting money? Anybody know? The battery just went, so I'll use this. But yeah, the U.S. government uses a lot of different ways to try to keep people from counterfeiting bills, right? Um, one of the best ways they do that is they redesign it every once in a while. And if you remember back in 1996, I think it was when you started getting these weird bills, you know, with the big heads, it's supposed to be counterfeit proof. How long did it take? Like a week, literally. A guy in his basement counterfeited them good enough in a week. So then in the late 2000s, they've changed them again, and they're actually in the process again. But the biggest thing that's hard to counterfeit is the image. They try to use the image to make it hard because of the different lines little things inside of that, and so they try to make it where you can't counterfeit the image. Well, in Matthew chapter 22, we see Jesus is, has been talking and teaching, and he's had a hard time with a particular group called the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time. They were always trying to trick Jesus and trap him with his words, and so at the time when Jesus was teaching, the Romans actually occupied Israel. They were in charge, and they had put their own king. They brought a guy in named Herod, and we've heard his name several times in Scripture, who was the king over this area. Now, Jesus came to be our what? King, right? Jesus came to be the king of the Jews and our king. And so the people wanted to make Jesus the physical king, and that wasn't what Jesus was about. So the Pharisees had been trying to trap Jesus, and they couldn't do it. So they partnered up with another group called the Herodians who were loyal to Herod, the king. These two groups didn't really get along, but they kind of came together for common enemy, trying to get Jesus in trouble. So Matthew chapter 22, we're going to start in verse 15. Matthew 22, starting in verse 15, it says this. When the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him with his words, they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you're a man of integrity and you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. What are they doing here? Trying to butter them up a little bit, right? Trying to appeal to them a little bit here. Setting them up. Because you, uh, so you aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us, and what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Now let's pause here. Caesar's imposed taxes. And they had different kinds of currency at the time. And Jewish people were typically allowed to use a special currency that didn't have Caesar's picture on it. 
uh, they didn't want to handle money with Caesar's picture because Caesar thought he was a what? A god. And so when the Jewish people took these coins that had Caesar's picture on it, they thought they were kind of having a little bit of idolatry going on. They didn't want that in their pockets. So they had special coins they were allowed to use that didn't have the picture. But the poll tax, the, the tax they had to pay uh, to the Romans directly, had to be paid with denarius, with the pictures of Caesar on it. So they pull out one of these things. They said, hey, Jesus, is it okay to, to pay this tax to the Romans or not? So they're trying to set him up a little bit because if Jesus says, no, don't pay it, what's going to happen? The Romans are going to be on him, right? He's going to go to jail or get killed. All right? If he says yes, then they're going to say, oh, well, you're bound to the Romans, right? So Jesus outwiles them again. But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, whose image is on this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him and went away. <laughs> Finally. So Lord, we thank you this morning for your word, and we pray that you would speak to our hearts today. Lord, would you challenge us? Would you grow us? Would you help us to give our lives completely over to you? In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus comes in, and he's teaching grace. He's teaching ways to find the Lord, and the Pharisees didn't like that he was messing up their system. They didn't like that Jesus was teaching people in ways that they were getting to know God on their own, and they didn't have to go with the Pharisees. And so they've been trying to trap on this entire time. And so this time they try to do it by appealing to his ego. They try to trap Jesus, and so they start appealing to his ego, which is kind of a man thing, right? Men have egos. Well, I was trying to give you a free one here, right? Right? So we, we do. We, we kind of like to be men. We kind of like to do things on our own. You know, we're stubborn a little bit. So they come in, and they start kind of sidling up to Jesus. You know, we know that you're a great teacher, and we know that you don't pay any attention to what people say because you know all about that. Um, and, and so they're kind of inflating his ego a little bit. Does this typically work with men? Yeah. That or you feed them. You know, either way, it works. But Jesus was too smart. It said that he knew their hearts. He knew what was going on. So they appealed to his ego. They, they thought Jesus was just a rabbi. They didn't understand who he was. So then they try to trap Jesus between two kingdoms. And this is the big point today of this message. They try to trap Jesus between two different kingdoms. The Romans and the Jewish kingdom. Now remember, Israel had been occupied by the Romans. They didn't like this. They didn't like what was going on. And there was actually a revolution started. Um, I had it on here. AD 6. A man named Judas, not the same Judas that was the disciple. But he revolted because of the taxes. They didn't like paying taxes to the Romans. It was kind of a way of saying, yeah, you're our, you're our lords. You know, you're kind of in charge. They didn't like it. So there was always this kind of current of unrest going through Israel because of the taxes. So they tried to trap Jesus by saying, you know, should we be paying this tax or not to the Romans? Are we really supposed to be doing this? And so um, the Romans had already installed King Herod. And so Herod was already a little bit weary anyway, right? Because he knew Jesus was gaining power. And so they are trying to trap Jesus between two. And to the Jews, paying this poll tax was a God-dishonoring badge of slavery. That's kind of how they saw it. One guy said this, a God-dishonoring badge of slavery. So 
they were trying to put Jesus in the position where he would either get in trouble with the Romans and be charged with treason, or he was going to alienate a huge part of the Jewish people who Jesus came to reach. So basically, the question was a question of loyalty. Basically, it was a question of loyalty. Who are you going to be loyal to, Jesus? Who are you going to teach us to be loyal to? Now, sometimes as Americans, we kind of feel the same way, don't we? Sometimes the government does things that we don't agree with. And we say, well, am I supposed to do this or not? We've seen this all over the country with people who are uh, business owners who are trying to operate a Christian business, and they feel like they're persecuted sometimes. It happens. So who is our ultimate loyalty to? It's got to be to the Lord, right? And this is kind of the position Jesus is in here. So would he tell them to pay the tax to the Romans or be disloyal to the people and tell them to keep the money for themselves? So what does Jesus tell them? Give to Caesar what is what? Caesar's. And give to God what is God's. So give God your loyalty. Give Caesar his money. So what did this do to the Pharisees? I said, wow. Uh, wow. They didn't know what to do. So Jesus says this image has, this currency has Caesar's image on it. We can't give this to Jefferson anymore because he's not around. But this, the image on here says that this money belongs to who? The government. Could I take this $20 bill and burn it if I wanted to? Really, you're not supposed to. There's actually a law that says you're not supposed to deface currency, right? Because this actually belongs to the U.S. government. You know, it's in my pocket, and it's going to go to somebody else's pocket. But right now, it belongs to the U.S. government. It's theirs because their image is on it. Jesus said, give to God what is God's. Give to God what has God's image on it. What has God's image on it? We do, right? Remember in Genesis, it says that they created us in God's image. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit is with us. Paul said that the Holy Spirit is a stamp saying that we belong to the Lord. We have God's image on us. So what is Jesus saying here? Yeah, give Caesar his money because that's the right thing to do. Pay the government their taxes because that's the right thing to do. But you have God's image. Give yourself to who? To God. So he's saying that we need to make sure that we give ourselves to the Lord because we belong to him. We have his image in us. And so this is the big question that Jesus gets into right here is the divide between the sacred and the secular sacred means what devoted to God secular means parts of the world and this is a pretty simple message today because Jesus really taught something pretty simple here Uh, basically he's saying there really isn't a divide right The, the Pharisees and the Herodians they were trying to get Jesus to create a divide between the sacred and the secular they were trying to get Jesus to say, well, you know, this is, this is Romans and this is God's. This is where this loyalty lies. And so you're really kind of divided here between the two. What belonged to the government? What belonged to God? And a lot of us, we try to kind of split our lives this way. Well, this is my church life. This is my God life. And this is my normal everyday life. What happens when we start dividing ourselves like that? One side's going to win, Right? One side is going to be stronger than the other. You know, so we kind of say, well, you know, money, money's kind of mine to do what I want with, but, you know, my soul is God's, and, and my career is really kind of mine, um, and my car is kind of mine, and my house is kind of mine, and my kids are kind of mine, 
but this Bible belongs to Jesus, right? You know, and so we try to kind of split our lives like that, but what happens? We can't be divided. Jesus is saying here, what belongs to God is you. Give yourself to the Lord. You know, sometimes we feel like, you know, when I go to church, this is kind of my church life, but when I walk out the doors and into the parking lot, I'm kind of back in the real world. But God wants to be part of everything in our lives. He wants us to give everything to Him. What did Jesus say? Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and then everything else will what? Will be added. Everything else will kind of fall in place. He says, if you will put God first in your life, and you will give yourself completely to Him, all this other stuff kind of falls in place. And we've all seen that in our lives. When we're really living for Jesus, stuff kind of falls in place, right? Are there bumps? Absolutely. There are huge bumps sometimes. There's, there's big stuff that happens. Things break. People upset us. People leave us. Different things happen, but when we put him first, everything else kind of falls in. And that's where Jesus is really trying to go with this. We have to realize that there is no division between sacred and secular in our lives. There's no difference. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says, I know that all things work together for good of him, those who love him and are called according to his purpose. What things work together for good? All. Because it's all his. Everything belongs to him. There's, <clears throat> I found a really great quote in one of the commentaries I was looking at. It says, there's, no, there's not a rigid division of life into the secular and the sacred. This is in your notes. But rather, there's a recognition that the secular finds proper place within the overriding claim of the sacred. What in the world does that mean? Well, otherwise, what it's saying is, when I give my life to Christ, when I ask Him to be Lord of my life, when I say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to give you everything, everything belongs to Him. And so my work life becomes worship. When I go to work, and I do what Paul said, when I, I work like I'm working for God, it's his. When I buy a new car, I say, Lord, this is yours because, you know, this is your money and this is your thing. Guess what? It's his. When we take our marriage and we say, God, I want you to be the center of this marriage. I want you to, to be right here in the middle. I want it to all be yours. Guess what happens? It's his. So our work life kind of falls in where it's his, right? My schoolwork falls there in his. You know, you always pray before a test anyway, right? God, I know I didn't study, but please, please bring this back to memory, right? I used to do that a lot. And it, finally, it didn't work. I don't know why. But, um, you know, we, when we get out there on the field and we play, we say, Lord, this is, this is yours. One thing, we have a church softball team. And so, you know, if you guys like sport, we need to have you help because some of us are getting older. <coughs> we, need to, we need to bring some younger folks in there to take our spots. I think between Kenny and I, we're kind of one person, you know, tipping on the field because one of us is hurt and the other takes over. But, you know, before we play a game, you know what we do? We huddle up and we pray. And we don't pray to win because, you know, that doesn't really work. But, you know, we do pray. God, use this game to bring glory to you. Help us to be great witnesses to the other team. Help us to be great witnesses to the people in the stands because it's for him, right? So there's no divide in our lives. And this is, this is the main point of this entire message. There's no divide between what's God and what's the world because it's all his. And there was one writer, I won't say his name because he kind of fell off the deep end. Um, he started teaching some weird stuff. But 
Back in the day, he was pretty solid. And there was one line in this book that he wrote where he says, all truth is God's truth. And that took me like a week thinking about trying to get in there because he was saying, you know, if you find truth in a movie, and it ultimately came from God because God is truth, right? If you find something that's true in a song, that came from God because all truth comes from him. And so the thing is, when I give my life to Christ, when I say, Jesus, would you forgive my sins? Help me to live for you. That line, help me to live for you, means what? I'm giving my life to you. And the ultimate goal of all this, the ultimate goal of what we call discipleship, is giving our lives completely over to Christ. Our superintendent, Pastor Bob, he's got this one line he says all the time. He says, I want to be all in. He says, I want everything I have to be all in with Jesus. That means when I go to work, I want to work for him. When I go out and I play basketball or I play football or I play baseball or softball or cross country or tennis or whatever it is I'm playing, volleyball, I want to be all in. I want to use that for him. I want to use that position for him. When I go to work, <clears throat> I'm putting in, you know, putting parts on the tractor, whatever it is I'm doing all day, I want to do it for him. And so I know this personally, I had to, I had to really sink this because, you know, I've been, <clears throat> I mean, I got married in 2001. We became youth pastors. And so kind of my work is being a pastor, right? And so when we moved and we took over this little church in Colorado, the district asked us to come in and kind of help it get healthy again. And they couldn't pay us anything, so I had to get a job. So I worked in a prison as a prison guard. Now, if there's an ungodly place on the planet, it's a prison. Because you're taking all the people who have done terrible things and putting them together, you know. And they're, I mean, they're good people at heart, some of them. Um, some of them. Most. Um, but they're there because they made a mistake. And there's a lot of really good men in prison. I mean, a lot of them were just really solid good guys. They just made a really boneheaded mistake, and they got caught. A lot of us have made really boneheaded mistakes, and we didn't get caught, you know. Um, so when I was there, I would go to work, and I kept telling God, you know, God, I really want to be doing church stuff all the time. And God really spoke to me one day. I remember I was sitting in the parking lot outside the prison, and I was sitting and cry for 10 minutes before I went in. Uh, not really. But I would just kind of get my brain wrapped around what I had to go do. <clears throat> and God really spoke to me and said, this is ministry. I've got you here because I want you here. And so I really took that, and I started making that. My goal was to do ministry inside the prison because I was doing this job for God. And you know what the funny thing was? When I got my head right and I started doing this for the right reasons, God really started opening doors inside the prison. I would get to talk to guys. I'd get to pray for guys. Um, I mean, I just had incredible conversations with guys that I couldn't do in a church, but I could do it there. And so God really opened my eyes that everything we do can be for God. There's not a divide. It's not, okay, you know, when I'm at home, this is God's time, but when I'm at work, this is my time. No, it's all God's time. And God can use all of that. So my encouragement today to you, whatever you're doing, whether, it's, whether you're a student, whether you're working, whether you're retired, everything you do is what? Worship. It's all His. It's all for God. Our entire lives are His. And and especially in America, you know, we, we try to make this divide between the secular and the sacred. Sacred. That's really hard to say. Secular and sac secular and sacred. Don't say it fast. So we start thinking, you know, school's a place where God doesn't, doesn't get to go. Well, absolutely does because he's with us, right? 
You know, you don't understand my workplace. Jesus wouldn't want to be in my workplace. He's already there. <laughs> and his presence goes with us. So how do we fight this? How do we fight this divide between trying to have a, a secular life and a sacred life and just make it all his? How do we fight this divide? Well, the first thing is we have to surrender completely to Christ. And now you're saying, well, pastor, I'm here. I've already done that. No, I mean, I want you to really take time and say, Lord, I'm going to give every part of my life to you. I know this sounds really like a church answer, right? But this is real life, guys. This is where Christianity meets the road. I have this devotional that I read, and I love this line this guy says. He calls it street-level Christianity. He's like, when I walk out the doors of the church, this is where my Christianity really takes feet. It really goes. So that means those little areas of my life that I try to hide back need to be surrendered. So, you know, some of us have this kind of secret compartment in our brain or in our hearts where we, we kind of keep our, our deepest desires, you know, like, I want to be famous or whatever it is, you know. Um, those things need to be given to Christ. We have to allow everything. So that means my career, my job, my money, my plans, my goal, my family, my wife, my kids, my husband, whatever it is you have, even your dog, your cat. I don't know if cats can really dedicate it. I think they're, but dogs, hamsters, you know, all those things. I'm kidding. They can. Um, pray for it as you run it over. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I got dark, didn't it? I'm sorry. That's not. Dedicate all, everything, every part of us. Listen to what Solomon in the book of Proverbs, Solomon wrote this first half of Proverbs to his son to help him gain wisdom for life. Listen to what he says. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. So you guys can quote this. Trust in the Lord with all your what? Heart. Did you catch that word? Saying, son, give everything to him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in, what's that word? All your ways. Submit to him, and all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Did you catch that word? All. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Solomon is saying, son, if you want to succeed in life, you have to give everything to God. And you know, Solomon learned this from experience, didn't he? Because as a king, he was doing incredible and he started getting more wives, more political alliances. He started leaning on his own wisdom, which was incredible. But he started doing things his own way. And what started happening? His heart started getting divided. And Solomon's downfall was the pagan gods that his wives brought in. So he's understanding this. So at the end of his life, he's saying, son, I want you to dedicate everything to him. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Listen to what Paul says. Whatever you do, what? Whatever, everything, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters, since you know that you'll receive inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ that you are serving. Again, whatever you do, what does that mean? Whatever you do, everything. You're say, man, this is a really simple message. It is, <laughs> but it's so hard to get in our brains. It's so hard to get in our hearts. Paul says, whatever you do, Everything, work, sports, hobbies, interests, video games, whatever you're doing, do it for what? The Lord. 
do it for Him because it's Christ that you're serving. So that means if I go to work, I'm not serving the warden at the prison. I'm not serving my boss at the Y. I'm not serving my boss here. I'm serving who? Christ. You might say, well, I'm self-employed. I'm serving myself. No, you're really serving Christ because it's all His. He says, whenever you do, do it for Him. So we have to submit and so some of that means to surrender. Some of us are going to have to get along with God today, tonight, this morning. We're going to say, Lord, what areas am I holding back? And it's surprising sometimes, the things he can show us that we're holding back. All right? So we have to surrender everything. And then secondly, we have to remember that everything is his. Everything is his. And do you think it was... Do you think it was coincidence that Jesus taught this lesson using a coin? Do you think it was coincidence that Jesus used money to teach this lesson about surrendering everything to him? I don't think so. The Romans tried to trip him up, or the Pharisees tried to trip him up with a coin, but do you realize Jesus is using as an illustration money? Why do you think we have such a hard time surrendering money to him? Because we like it, Right? It symbolizes our freedom sometimes to be able to do things. I love this illustration. There was a guy in London. This is a true story. His name was Emil Mettler. Emil Emil Mettler. It's really hard to say. But he owned a restaurant in London. He's a close friend of Albert Schweitzer, so he was kind of helping with this underground revolution and all this stuff. But he owned a restaurant, and he would never allow a Christian worker to pay for a meal in his restaurant. Anytime someone came in who was working for a mission or a missionary, or a pastor, anyone who went in that was working for Jesus, he wouldn't allow them to pay for their meals. And one time, one of the, the head secretaries of the Missionary Society in London was there, and he saw, Albert, or saw this guy open his drawer, and there among the bills and the change, there was a big nail. And he said, why do you keep a nail in your drawer? And he says, I want to make sure I get this right, I keep this nail with my money to remind me of the price that Christ paid for my salvation and what I owe him in return. I keep this nail here to remind me the price that Christ paid for me and so I can give things back. It helps me understand that everything is his, right? So Jesus taught this using money because a lot of us, the hardest thing for us to let go of is our money. I've heard the old saying, if God can convert your wallet, he can convert the rest of you, right? <laughs> Sometimes it's hard for us to let that go. And it's not just money, but it's everything tied to money. Our jobs, our plans, our goals. You know, Americans, we love to have goals, right? And sometimes it's hard to let that thing go because we're afraid God's going to take it away from us. Howard Dayton found out that 16 of 38 parables that Jesus taught were concerned on how to handle money and possessions. 16 out of 38. In the Gospels, an amazing one out of every 10 verses deal directly with the subject of money. The Bible gives 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses about money and possessions. Why do you think God talks so much about our money? Because we want to hold on to it. We want to keep that part of our lives from God. You know, the money, that's secular. You know, that, that money belongs to the government. It's tainted. <laughs> no, it's God's. God gives you the ability to earn money. God gives me the ability to earn money. God owns everything that we have, whether we know it or not. So what can we do? 
We surrender it. We say, God, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours, Lord. The money I have is yours. The ability to make money is yours. The health I have to go to work, it's yours. The stuff that I have, the stuff that's in the closets that I forget about, you know, all that, the stuff that's in the storage unit and the other storage unit, that's yours. The pile under the kid's bed, <laughs> that's yours. If you want to go under there and get it, it's yours, right? <laughs> it's all his. Everything that we own is his. And when we finally get that distinction down, it makes it a lot easier to trust him with it, doesn't it? It makes it a lot easier to say, you know what, this is yours. I'm going to let you have this. And so Jesus is teaching them there's not a divide between what's his and what's ours. It's all his. There's not a divide between the holy and the unholy. It's all his. When you go to work, you're working for him. When you go to school, you're going to school for him. All right? And so I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and we're just going to pray a really, really simple prayer this morning. We're going to pray that the Lord would help us to surrender everything to him. To realize that it's all his. So if you're physically able this morning, would you stand? Lord, this morning we come and we thank you for the fact that you love us. We thank you for the fact that you're interested in every part of our lives. And Lord, I pray this morning you would help us to really surrender every part of our lives to you. To give it to you. Because it's already yours. God, I pray that you'd help us give our hearts to you, our minds to you, our soul, our strength, everything to you. And help us to work at every part of our lives like we're working for you. To understand that there's not a divide between what's yours and what's the world's or what's yours and what's ours. It's, it's intended to all be yours. And you're the best one we can trust it with because you know way better than we do. So what I pray this morning, if we're here and there's some area of our life that we haven't surrendered, would you show us that this morning? If there's some part of our life that we're holding back and trying to hold control of, would you show us that this morning? Because, Lord, your image is on us. We're yours. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning, say, you know, Pastor X, I've never really made that initial surrender. I've, I've never asked Jesus to forgive my sins. I've never surrendered my life to him. But, you know, this morning I really want to do that. I, I, I've just got this feeling that I really want to give that over to him. I want to give my life to him. I thought you would just slip your hand up right where you're at. We want to pray with you this morning. If you're here this morning, you say, you know, as you've been talking this morning, God's really been poking one area of my life. I realize there's one part of my life that I've never surrendered to him. Maybe it's my work life. Maybe it's my family. Maybe it's my plans and my goals. Maybe it's the money. But there's, there's areas of my life that I've never surrendered, and I really want to do that this morning. That you would just slip your hand up right where we're at. We're going to pray together. Lord, would you help me to surrender every part of my life? It could be relationships. It could be plans. All right, let's pray together. Father, I pray this morning you would help us to truly surrender every part of our lives. We would hold nothing back, but we would give every single part of our lives to you. 
Father, would you help us to lay down our hearts, our minds, our souls, our relationships, our work, our careers, our money, our family, our kids, our marriages, our singleness, everything that we have, give to you today. In Jesus' name. The worship team is going to lead us in a song this morning. And if you'd like to come to the front to pray, you can do that. If you want someone to pray with you, come up here. Someone will meet you. If you want to just pray right where you're at, you can do that. But I'm just going to ask you to take this time and say, Lord, would you show me what I'm holding back?